Guys, we think it's um, very important for you to see that uh, your church is giving money away. Um, uh, a certain percentage of what you give is automatically given away, and, and it's given away to ministries like these. Streets Ministry has been around for years. It's been run by Ken Bennett for years. Now they've got a second location out by Kingsbury High School. Um, it's just a solid. Can you can you can't you rejoice in the in the testimonies of those three people who are staff at Street? So just want you to. We just we're just trying to keep you in the loop about what's going on with um, uh, missions here at Gracie Van. If you want to know more, you can go to that website that you saw, uh, gracievan.org slash graceventure. You can take a look and see. Oh, gosh, I, I was told once, 42 different agencies and missionaries around the world that you're supporting, or at least partially. Now, that all done, let's uh, return to our study of the book of Job. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Job chapter 28. And you follow as I read... Um, from uh, a book that we consider to be inerrant, infallible. It's got no um, errors and contains no myth. It's the very mind of God, as black words on a white page. And so you follow as I read, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 28. Surely there is a mind, a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light." But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. Verse 20. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, We have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, I've been very uh, candid with you concerning the complexity of this book. I have told you that um, it is not easy to interpret and and I've told you that, uh, and I, I, I make no claim to understand it all. But of the 42 chapters contained in the book of Job, this is the chapter that I think I understand the best, chapter 28. Uh, and because I think I understand it the best, we're going to spend two weeks in chapter 28. You know, guys, uh, one, of the thing that, one of the things that the book of Job does for us is that it warns us. Uh, by warning, I mean it, it warns us what to expect. 
it, it prepares us for things that we might face when we find ourselves in times of difficulty and struggle. For example, one of the things that the book of Job warns you about is that if you are ever suffering, you may have to deal with some insensitive friends. Another thing, um, it warns you that one of the struggles that you're going to have in your midst of your suffering is your envy of the wicked. That's mentioned a couple of three times uh, by Job in here, that he struggles with envying the wicked. And so the, the book is warning us. It's, it's preparing us for things that we too might experience um, when we're in difficulty. We come to chapter 28, and it addresses a subject that, that needs to be discussed among us. What it's saying, in essence, is that one of the things that you're going to long for in the midst of your suffering, one of the things that you're going to long for is wisdom. Somebody or somewhere you get wisdom that will help you make some sense out of your present situation. Somebody help you cope with all of the confusion that has that has occurred as a result of my present suffering. You know, guys, um, wisdom, I, I heard a preacher say one time, wisdom is competency with respect to the complexities of life. I like that. Competency with respect to the complexities of life. And one of the things that you're going to long for in the, in the midst of your own trial is someone who is competent or somewhere that you can find competence so that you can make some sense out of all that you're, that you're struggling with and dealing with. One of, the, one of the things that the book of Job is saying to us, guys, among numerous other things, but one of the things is, is that in the midst of it, you're going to long for wisdom. Because so much of life um, is, is dealing with issues that aren't necessarily addressed and covered by the rule book. Let, let me give you an example. If you are presently wondering whether or not it would be wise for you to enter into an affair, a marital affair, I can tell you that that's covered by the rule book. That wouldn't be right wisdom, that would be insanity. But, ladies and gentlemen, so much of life, so much, so 90% of the decisions and the choices that we face are not covered in the rule book. We can't find a, a simple little prohibition or a simple little provision that says, yes. You know, things like who to marry, where to go to school, what job to take, should we move, on and on and on it goes. I remember um, our staff here at Grace of Anne, we, we have a book study each week. We study a book every week. Uh, every Tuesday, we're studying a book, and we, so we finish one book, and we move on to the next book, and we study another book. And a couple of years ago, we studied a book on missions. Missions, ladies and gentlemen. 
And, and what these two authors were saying was this, that the evangelical community, well-intentioned, rightly motivated, has been spending millions of dollars on the mission field that has done more harm than help. You know what was missing? Wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> and here we are taking millions of dollars, throwing them away, thinking we're doing wisely when we're not. The book of, the chapter 28 in the book of Job gives us a chance to discuss something we're really going to long for. You know, not just in pains and suffering, but in, in, a, in a time of suffering, but, but at other times as well. Guys, we were never created, listen to me, we were never created to be our own source of wisdom. We were designed to be revelation receivers. That is, we were designed to be dependent on a God who would make certain truths known to us. And then, we were to take that truth that he had revealed to us and make choices and decisions based on the wisdom that he had entrusted to us. And when we don't do it like that, when we don't base our, our choices and decisions on the information and revelation that he has made known to us, You can write the rest of the next sentence. I mean, when we don't do that, we end up taking a very complex life and making it worse. Don't we? Guys, um, you remember, um, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2? You know, one of the distinctives, one of the differences between the animal kingdom and us, is that God created both of us, but he only speaks to us. Living your life without consulting the revelation of God is living like an animal. Because he doesn't speak to them either. But he has spoken to us. And I, I, I find folks, lots of folks, I'm with them every week, who have made decisions, I don't know, based on their hormones or something, that have so complicated their lives that I don't know how to unravel it. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I mean... Maybe there's people in America that can unravel these things, but I, I, it isn't me. Guys, it's living a lot, it's living an irrational life. What we're supposed to do is start out with the humble recognition that I have a need for wisdom.
And then, recognizing my need, I then direct myself to the place where wisdom can be found. And that, of course, is God and his word. When I don't do that, I'm living like an animal. And, and um, interestingly enough, the Bible uh, says that there are those who like to live that way. Um, there's a statement in, in Psalm 14 where the psalmist says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so, like a fool, I am convinced that I'm okay and that I know enough to make all the right choices and all the right decisions. Our foolishness shows up in our rejection of God, and, and, and that grows out of this inborn desire to replace God's wisdom with my own. I've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So guys, that's what Job 28 is about. And, and I think the message contained in here is vital. So I hope you listen to the rest of it. Guys, in chapter 28 of the book of Job, he launches into a, a long poem on, on the mystery of wisdom. And at the center of his poem is a question. It's found in verse 12. The question is, where shall wisdom be found? Now, guys, even, even if people were willing to seek it, and, and many are not, even if people were willing, where, where would they begin their search? Where would they go to find wisdom? Where's wisdom hidden? I, I am here to suggest to you this morning that there are two options. And I, and I want to say only two. There are two options. The question that is being addressed in chapter 28 is, where is wisdom? So, I, I, I want to discuss with you the options. And by showing you what Job says. Guys, if you noticed, as I read... He begins this poem on wisdom with a discussion of ancient mining techniques. What he's really mentioning is the technology that is available. He says in verse 4, he opens shafts in a valley away from him. He says in verse 9, man puts his hand to the flinty rock. Uh, verse 11, he dams up streams. You see what he's doing, what he's describing. He's describing the occupation of a miner. with uh, uh, Mining. <laughs> Not a, not a youth, but a miner, somebody who mines in the earth. And, and he describes it as a very lonely, dangerous, <coughs> back-breaking occupation. So here's his first point. The first point he's, that he's drawing attention to is this. The irony of people who go to such extremes to dig for gold and jewels... And yet they won't cross the street to access infinite divine wisdom. He's describing mankind in their pursuit of gold and jewels. 
but wisdom he cares very little about. You know, in the book of Proverbs, you find this statement, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. <laughs> uh, not for most people. Why not? Why don't people prize and pursue the wisdom of God above all else? I'm sure there's many reasons. But I want to draw your attention to two. First of all, guys, the gaining of wisdom requires the sacrifice of our single most precious possession. Ourselves. If, if I could say that a little bit differently, what's required in the pursuit of godly wisdom is the surrender of our wills. Guys, um, we are to do that not with some kind of grim resignation, but we surrender our wills believing that submission to God was the way that life was intended to be lived. Now, gang, if you're still awake and you got your Bibles in your laps, I, I want to show you. I, I never tire of showing people this. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you can find this fifth book in the, in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament, fifth book, it's in Deuteronomy 10. Did I say 12? It's 10. Deuteronomy 10 at verse 12. I want to read you three verses. Now, if you're looking at it, I want you to follow me as I read it. All right? See if I get it right. 10.12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. Did I read that right? I didn't. On purpose. Because I didn't read all of it. Moses in Deuteronomy 10 says, Folks, God wants you to serve Him and love Him and obey Him, etc., etc., etc. And look at the last three words of 13, folks. Which I am commanding you today for your good. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you believe that surrendering your will to the will of a sovereign God will be for your good? I, I, what, what I'm simply asking is, why don't people pursue the wisdom of God? Well, I'll tell you why. They don't believe that. They don't believe it's for their good. You know, um, guys, coal miners used to take a, a canary down into the shaft where they were working. And the reason, of course, that they did that is because... Um, uh, if the underground air became poisoned somehow or dangerously thin, that that dangerous air would show up and affect the canary first, providing a warning for the miners to get out of the mine. But my friends, in the cold, dark shaft of the human will, the canary has stopped singing. 
And yet people go on digging and slaving and tunneling and sweating, trying to make some sense out of life, but never considering submitting to the Lord in some kind of wholehearted obedience. And underneath that refusal is the fact that they don't believe that surrendering to this God is for their good. Do you believe that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of the decisions that you make will reflect whether or not you believe those three little words. No, no, I would never consider that because it's not for my good. I I yield to this statute. I surrender to this piece of direction from Almighty God. Because I believe that surrendering to Him is the smartest thing I could possibly do. The abandonment of my will to his is one of the great horrors for a lot of people. What they grew up believing is that the summum bonum of life, that is the greatest good of life, is control. And the thing that was the most certain to give me control is money. So just like you see in Job 28, a group of people who say, I'm not going to lift a finger to find the wisdom of God, but I'm going to work myself into oblivion trying to make money and find gold and jewels, etc., etc. Tell me, how's that working for you? That that notion that if I the more money I get, the more control I have. How's that working for you? You know, guys, a lot of us have figured out that that isn't true. And, you know, the Bible simply does not defend the truth. The Bible angrily attacks lies. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a lie. And it needs to be angrily attacked. Because it's ruining us. It's ruining us to think that the summum bonum of life is control and the way to get control is make more money and success. It's ruining us. I guess what, another reason that we don't pursue the wisdom of God is that we, we are, we're afraid that if we, if we surrender our will, he'll crush us. That, that life will be ruined, we won't be happy, we... He'll somehow drop us off in misery. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, half of that is true. It really is. Because there is one person who did surrender his whole will, and he was crushed. He was crushed for me. His name, of course, is Jesus Christ. 
He, he even sought a way out in the Garden of Gethsemane, but then he finally came to the place and said, mm, well, not my will, but yours. That's surrendering your will, ladies and gentlemen. You know, for, the, for us who, who ought to be crushed, to surrender to the will of God means life and means it more abundantly. Christ is the one that was crushed for his obedience, ladies and gentlemen, so that I won't be crushed for my disobedience. The only one who got crushed for surrendering his will to God was, was Jesus. And everyone since then, everyone who has surrendered their will to his, they lead a life of delight, or at least a life that makes sense. Now there's some wisdom for you. Guys, Job in 28 looks out over the world that goes to extremes to gather gold and silver and jewels. And what he's telling us in this chapter is that in the midst of his own pain, none of that helps him at all. And then he comes to the conclusion in verse 13 and says... Where can I find it? And then says, man does not know its worth. And it's not found in the land of the living. You know, guys, um, I may be taking up more of your time than I should with this story, but it just it just illustrated that that verse to me. It was, you know, I'm not an, I'm not a an expert on the Civil War. I, I read a book a year or so on the Civil War, and so I'm kind of a buff uh, about the Civil War. But I'm not an expert. But I, but I do know this, that when the Civil War began, the South was really doing well. The Southern armies were really doing well, and the Northern armies did horribly. And the reason that they were doing so horribly is that they had such poor leadership. Uh, the first general of the Northern of the Union armies was Winfield Scott, and they said that Winfield Scott was so old and so fat that he could ne- barely make it to the battlefield. And so Abraham Lincoln replaced him and went through seven generals before they finally found Ulysses S. Grant. He went from Scott to Irvin McDowell, from Irvin McDowell to George McClellan, then John Pope, Ambrose Burnside, Joseph Hooker, George Meade, and finally Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant was the, was the best of the bunch. I mean, he was the, he was the, he was the, he was the, Saver of them all, you know, he was, he was the, he was the, he couldn't have gotten any better than Grant. Well, you know that Grant, it, it's widely known, had a drinking problem. In fact, it was even rumored that Abraham Lincoln would send him a, a casket or a cask of um, alcohol, of whiskey, uh, periodically. And said, if that's what it takes to win, I'll send all my generals whiskey. At Shiloh, um, there, that Shiloh was such a bloodbath for the for the Union armies that ended in a stalemate that there were cries back in Washington to replace Grant, and and Lincoln said, "No, I need him. That man fights." Ultimately, you know that um, uh, the the way that the North won the war was not because of military genius, ladies and gentlemen. They won because they overwhelmed the South with with men and materials. And, and on their, on the Union Army's final push to Richmond, uh, Grant 
sent 9,000 people to their death in a matter of a couple of hours at Cold Harbor. Even even Grant regretted that decision. There are those who would say that the reason that Grant won the war is because he had no conscience about sending young men into the battle to die. You know that when they finally signed the, the, uh, the peace treaty at Appomattox, it wasn't because of military, it was just simply because they were, the southern armies were swamped and they were starving. There's, there's one story about Grant at uh, Missionary Ridge. That's in Chattanooga, you know. And um, <clears throat> there was a stalemate going on there. And, um, and all of a sudden, a, one of his generals, or one of his underlings, Arthur MacArthur, the father of Douglas MacArthur of World War II Pacific War uh, fame. Arthur MacArthur leads a charge at Missionary Ridge, but it was an unauthorized charge. It was a, a charge that was so heroic and dangerous and, and uh, led to victory for the Union armies that MacArthur was given the Congressional Medal of Honor. But Grant was in his tent, didn't know what was going on. I don't know whether he was drunk, I did, but he came, comes out of his tent. He hears all the cannonade, and he, he looks off into the, the valley, and he sees this attack being made up the hill. And Grant said, who ordered that? And one of his uh, adjutants said, no one, sir. They just went. And it's reported that Grant said this, well, that'll be okay if it's okay. Now, there's some genius, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, boy. I could have done that well. It'll be okay. If it's okay. He was the best of the best. He went on to be the president. Kind of feel like Job. Wisdom? No, it's not found in the land of the living. You know, at that point, at verse 13, Job's poem is really this lament on the fact that true wisdom is unattainable. But I think Job sensed intuitively that the key in everything is in wisdom is to be found in something or someone outside of himself. And, and let me show you why I say that, ladies and gentlemen. Job is smart enough to know, as he says in verse 13, that wisdom is not found in the land of the living. And he says it is not found. It'll never be found in the land of the living. Human reason uh, cannot give it to you. It cannot find it. Technology will not help you. Science can tell us what is, but can never tell us what ought to be. And so he states in verse 13, it's not found in the land of the living. I can't find it. It's a treasure that I can't find. I can't buy it. Where is it? It's not in the land of the living. Is he saying that wisdom will never be had? No. I want you to go to verse 20 and I want to show you the subtle shift in the argument of, the, of, of Job. He says in verse 13, and it is not found in the land of the living. In verse 20 he says, From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? Did you see the shift? 
In 13, he says, it'll never be found. In 20, he says, where does it come from? It's not going to be found here. But it's going to come. Okay, says Job, I can't find it. I can't buy it. I can't dig for it. I can't, I, I can't discover it. But I can receive it. You can't find it. It finds you. You don't find it. It comes to you. I don't dig for it. I receive it. And I receive it from its one and only source. Verse 23. God understands the way to it. And He knows its place. Technology will not help me find it. It's not found in the land of the living. But it comes. Comes from where? It comes from God. Ladies and gentlemen, I I started by saying that basically you've got two options as to where wisdom comes from. Here they are. Me, myself, yourself. Or God. And if you're going to choose anything other than yourself, it's going to mean that you're going to have to abandon your will. My friend, if you're not a Christian here this morning, we're glad you're here. But you've got to know at least this much about yourself. you, You don't want to yield to anyone but yourself. If if I'm going to be saved, says the unbeliever, all you Christians like to talk about getting saved. Well, if I'm going to get saved, I'm going to save myself. If there's anyone to be obeyed, it's me I'm going to obey. If wisdom is needed, I'll get it from myself. Ultimately, what you're saying is that I am God and there is no other. And for you, my friend, about the only thing that I think has a chance of changing you is a healthy dose of pain. I'll tell you a story when I'm done. I first heard this story by Steve Brown. Steve Brown told it, and he said he read it in the back of an in-flight magazine. You know, one of those magazines they stick in the back pocket of the, the seat when you're flying in an airplane. But it turns out, um, it apparently appeared in a Vance Havner book. I found it in a Chuck Swindoll book. But apparently the story comes from Vance Havner uh, in the book entitled, It Is Towards Evening. But he tells a, a story about a, a small little southern Alabama town about 100 years ago where the major livelihood was raising cotton. Now, when I say major, I really mean only. The, the only. the only livelihood in this small Alabama town was raising cotton. And one year, it appeared that they were going to have this bumper crop of cotton, and then the boll weevil came. Devastated the crop, destroyed the economy of this whole little town. And so these farmers, being an ingenious lot, decide that they're not going to sit idly by and let somebody just usher them into the, to the poorhouse. 
And so one of them got the idea that he was going to plant peanuts. Bow weevils don't like peanuts. And then another one said, well, I'm going to plant this. Another one planted that. And then uh, it would come harvest time. They had bumper crops of all these different, this variety of crops. And, and the economy was saved and these farmers were, um, were kept out of the poorhouse. I don't know whether they renamed the town or whether the town simply came to be known as Enterprise, Alabama. Ever been there? It's still there. And you know what they did after that? They erected a monument to the bull weevil. You know what you need, my friend? You need a bull weevil. You need something to bite you so hard that you'll give up this foolishness about you being consummate wisdom. You know, a lot of us in this room, we've already had our bow weevil. And we might have others. We might have more. But what the bow weevil did is that it convinced us that wisdom is not found in the land of the living. It convinced us that we needed a Savior. And that the way life was intended to be lived was being yielded and submissive to a God of all grace. You know what you need, my unbelieving friend? You need a bow weevil. And oh, the beauty of a life that's been changed by a dose of pain so that we would be shaken into our senses and that we would see the beauty of the finished work of Jesus Christ for sinners. You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, because I love you, I'm going to pray that God will send you a bow wiggle. Our Father, I do pray that you will... Um, uh, grant whatever is necessary to bring people to their senses so that they might see that wisdom is not found in the land of the living. Wisdom is only found in the... Um, it, it, it's only received. It only comes from the God of all wisdom. The God who loves sinners enough to provide a solution for their sin in Jesus Christ. The one who submitted his will completely to yours and you crushed him you crushed him so that you wouldn't have to crush me. So, Father, as one who deserved to be crushed, but one who has been set free by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you and love you. Would you open other people's, would you open other eyes who are here today who have not yet seen their need for the Savior? Do that for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen.